Welcome to The Crossing, the sermon podcast from Washington National Cathedral. We're so glad you're with us, and we hope this week's episode gives you comfort and inspiration. Be sure to check out our other Crossing podcast, Tower Talks, where you can find untold stories from cathedral docents, volunteers, staff, and artists who have each helped make the cathedral into the national treasure we all love. And now, enjoy this week's sermon. those you instructed to the prophet Isaiah may be words of comfort, encouragement, and hope. Lord, we need hope, and we need you. Amen. I'd like to share with you an excerpt from a story that always comes to my mind in December. It's not a Christmas story, but it speaks to me of the miracle and the mystery that we celebrate at Christmas. It's, this comes from the story, a story of a prince, a little prince. The little prince lay, da- lay down and wept at the sight of 500 roses in a single garden. You see, on the planet he ruled, he had a single rose who had told him that she was unique. And yet there were 500 roses just like her in one garden. She would be very much annoyed if, he, if she knew. He said to himself she would cough most dreadfully and pretend that she was dying to avoid being laughed at. And I should be obliged to pretend that I was nursing her back to life. I thought I was rich, he thought sadly, with a flower unique in all the universe. If she were but an ordinary rose, who then was he? Then the little prince met a fox who taught him an important lesson about love. To me, The fox said, you are nothing more than a little boy who is just like a thousand other little boys. I have no need of you, and you have no need of me. I'm just a fox, like a hundred thousand other foxes. But if you tame me, then we shall need each other. To me, you will be unique in all the world, and I will be the same for you. 
The little prince returned to the garden with the 500 roses and realized for all their beauty, he felt nothing for them. But he loved his rose far away on his tiny planet, the rose he watered and sheltered and cared for. It's the time you have wasted on your rose that makes her so important, the fox told the little prince. You are responsible for your rose. See, like, like the one rose, the entirety of the Christian faith rests on one astonishing spiritual proposition. That when God chose to redeem the world, God didn't send an army or a committee or a plan. God sent one person. Jesus lived in a particular place and time. He was born of Mary. And through his one life, his one life, we see the human face of God. We who call ourselves Christians are those who feel so drawn to that one life that we seek to live our lives in light of his. So the gospel of our lives, the good news for us, is how his life makes a difference in ours. And according to the Gospel of Mark, we just heard the earliest written account of Jesus' life, his story begins not in the manger, but with a voice that cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So this season, as we know, this season of Advent is one of preparation, but what are we preparing for exactly? Which is a question, another question, another way of saying, for Christians, how, how are we to live right now? which is haunting in a world that needs so much. For those of us who feel Jesus' claim on our lives, what is our rose? For what and for whom are we responsible? Our first responsibility must always be for the one life with which we have been uniquely entrusted no one else can live our lives for us, and we cannot live another person's life. And while we dare never minimize the impact of inequity and trauma, nor the randomness of fortune and disaster, we still can and must choose how we will respond to life. We decide how we will live and to what degree we will allow the love of God in. We are responsible for our rose. Second responsibility is within our particular sphere of relationships, our friends, our family, and community. And that is no small task, to love well those who are closest to us and to own our part in the universal imperfection of relationships. It's a daily discipline to seek the best in one another and forgive the worst. Every day we choose how we show up 
with and for each other, to do our part and more when life requires it, for we are responsible for our rose. And then a third responsibility is for our work, our contribution to the greater good, for it is through work that we take our energies and gifts and offer them up and out beyond us. Now this realm of work is complicated and it changes over time. Sometimes our work is related to what we do for a living, but not always and never completely. Our work is always more than our job. Sometimes work plays a big part in our identity, but other times it's simply doing the chores, doing what needs to be done. Sometimes we're recognized for our work, but often not. And sometimes our work puts us right in the center of things, but most of the time we're in a supporting role for someone else. Think of John the Baptist, for heaven's sake, for whom we've just heard his entire passionate life was a prologue for Jesus' ministry. Yes, it's our work that helps us find our place and connect to something bigger. The Czech president and poet Václav Havel put it this way, by perceiving ourselves as part of the river we take responsibility for the river as a whole. We are responsible for our rose. Well, even in normal times, whatever that means, life rarely affords us the luxury of apportioning equal allotments of energy to each of the realms of our responsibility. More typical in a life is for one area to take priority for a time, be it ourself, our relationships, or our work, which is always awkward and a bit of a juggling act. When the focus necessarily is on ourselves in a time of intense development or maturing or rest, it can feel self-indulgent even selfish to be so self-focused. And yet, as a wise mentor pointed out to me when I was young, that self-giving isn't much, isn't worth much if you don't have a self to give away. A lesson I've had to relearn many times in my life, for I am responsible for my rose and you are responsible for yours. Similarly, when life requires us to drop everything for the sake of one we love, there, there's no option but to go, although sometimes it can take a while for the magnitude of what's happening to sink in. Once when our younger son had an accident and needed emergency surgery, and it was, it was serious, it was a serious surgery, I brought with me into the surgical waiting room all of my work for the coming weekend. I had a sermon to write and a wedding to prepare and meetings to plan, and I, I was in shock, and it wasn't sinking in. The extent of the crisis was not getting through, and finally it took a friend to gently look me in the eye and say, you're not going into work this weekend. Because when someone in our immediate circle needs us, that's where we belong. 
no matter what else waits, because we are responsible for our rose. But there are also times when work requires that kind of singular focus and energy for creativity's sake or to accomplish what we feel we need to be called to. And, and when work demands it, it, other realms of life suffer, which is a dangerous way to live indefinitely, but sometimes it is the call. A few years ago, the New York Times ran a story about a group of scientists at the National Institute of Health, and they realized they were nearing a breakthrough in a treatment for a rare form of leukemia. And driven by the hope of that new treatment, they worked around the clock for weeks, missing their children's soccer games and piano recitals so that someone else might see their own children play. And we know that's happening right now around the world, as those who have the skill and capacity to create and distribute a vaccine are working at great sacrifice right now so that all of us might see a better day. And it's happening in our schools and hospitals and nursing homes and households. So many of you are tending to your work with a singular focus so that others might live. Thank you. Of course, this year, needless to say, has been anything but normal. In ways we still can't fully measure, the events of 2020 have affected everything in our circles of responsibility, our own lives, our relationship, what constitutes our work. It's as if we're all in this cosmic game of 52-card pickup, and we're scrambling on the floor, all of us, to pick up pieces of our lives. And so as we consider how Jesus would have us live right now, right now, can we dare to believe that he would first invite us to be still just long enough to acknowledge the impact and what's required of us in light of all that's happened and is happening, and to remember that he is on our side through every change, he faithless, he faithfully remains. It's that rubber meets the road kind of spiritual question, you know? If Jesus is God's way of redeeming the world, if Jesus is God's way of healing us all, where do we need him now to come? Where do you need him? And where do I? Our answers will differ according to our circumstances and the particular claims on our hearts and lives, but his promise is the same, that he comes and he makes his home in us and with us, wherever we are. He's that light that shines, cannot be overcome by darkness. He is the love that shows up where love is needed most. And that's, that's something to hold on to right now. In the midst of all that we're holding and all that we've lost. The presiding Bishop was quoted in a recent newspaper article, and he said this. He said, the truth of Christmas may 
be more profoundly true for us this year because so much has been stripped away. But we're not helpless. We're not alone. There is a God that cares enough to come into our world. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. One way for us to live, I suggest to you, is simply to embrace the particularity of your life and mine in this moment and focus where we can on singular, specific expressions of love. So often we worry that we're not doing enough. That's your worry, as it is often mine, could we all agree right now to let that worry go and choose instead, as Mother Teresa once said, to focus on small things that we can offer with great love? You know, I first read the story of the little prince when I was a brand new parent and I was just adjusting to the enormous shift of energy and life priorities that parenting requires. And I was so comforted and also challenged by the image of the rose, comforted in that I knew with unmistakable clarity where my responsibility lay, my greatest responsibility, and I was challenged because I knew that if I didn't rise to this, if I couldn't love one beautiful child, then all my efforts to love and to give in other realms would mean nothing. And now that child is a young man with a babe, with a rose of his own. And it turns out that these intentional efforts of love, however small, what they do inside is they expand our capacity to love. And so the love that we offer, no matter where, no matter how small, has a way of multiplying as it goes forth from us. When we choose to love the lives we've been given, turns out we have more love to share. And when we tend to our relationships, we build this foundation of compassion and health that can spread for generations. And when we do our work with love, whatever it is, we share in God's redeeming of the world. So I think of the little prince every year as Christmas approaches because of the one rose. And we sing at Christmas, Lo, how a rose, ere blooming, it came a flower bright amidst a cold of winter when half spent was the night. There is this striking singularity about the Christian faith, focused as it is on one person, one babe, born long ago in a particular time and place. And yet it is the power and the presence of that one life still living in us that holds the promise of all that is good and just and true. It holds the promise of all that we long for, for ourselves, all that we hope for, for our children's children. 
and the face that all the world cries out for, it may not ever feel like enough, but it is God's way, we believe. It's God's way with and for us. For Christians, Jesus is our rose, and we are his. Amen.